0: Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Today's guest is a person whom I have known and worked with in the past. She is a person of great depth and perspective. I've consulted with her when I needed insight into what is common in our spiritual journey, as well as what relates to China. Her name is Christina Kuo Graham. I have always known her as Tina. So welcome to the podcast, Tina.
1: Hi, Vic.
0: Hey, Tina, it's just really great to have you here. So what I'd like to do first is to say a few things about you. Sometimes it's easier for someone else to say a few things, and other times it's uh, the person themselves. But in our audience, many of you may have known her through common people we've worked with. We got to know each other in Pasadena, where she worked at Ambassador Television, and then Editorial, the longest. Then Ambassador Foundation, YOU, that's Youth Opportunities United, with Bill Jacobs. And finally, the International Department with Randall Dick. And since I worked in church administration, we interfaced a lot of times. We were on the same floor, I believe, the third floor, at the Hall of Administration and saw each other often, sometimes in the same meetings, and got to know the same familiar names, notably Dr. Herman Hay, uh, John Halford. In the past 35 years... Tina has devoted her life to a full-time ministry and has worked in areas such as Christian journalism, pastoral counseling, discipleship, youth ministry, and international missions development. Her various duties have enabled her to travel to over 30 countries, giving her a global perspective that has helped shape her calling and service. Tina is married to Ned Graham, president of Eastgate's and the youngest son of the late evangelist, Billy and Ruth Graham. They live in the Washington Puget Sound area and greatly value the co-ministry that God has placed upon them. Tina, in our life's mission, we are concerned about the world that has lost perspective of its purpose and identity. It is searching mm-hmm. and not finding meaning in life. Perhaps you could tell us about your beliefs and testimony you've been so open about with, it, with me And I know that our listeners would like to know more.
1: Sure. Um, Be happy to, Vic. Um, You know, I grew up in a family. My mom and dad um, were born and raised in China. And eventually they came over to the United States and settled in uh, the academia town of Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, which is where the University of Illinois is located. That's where my two sisters and I were born and raised. You know, as a little kid, I had always just a sense of wonder and my mom would always tell me that i always asked so many questions um and that i did but um when i was about 16 years old my one of my best friends who was jewish she invited me to her brother's bar mitzvah um which means in hebrew son of the commandments and so it occurs for jewish um, young boys around the age of 12 where they become literally uh, an adult a man And so I went to Charlie's bar mitzvah, and the Sinai Temple was located about a stone's throw away from my home. So um, I attended that that afternoon, and I came back totally different. I, I I had an experience there that I couldn't, I can't really articulate, but there was such a sense of community, of this sense that i was around a group of people that had an incredible sense of identity Mm. not only about the past but their present and their future um a nation surrounding you know that had its epicenter and core um history in the land of israel um that was a, a country that spiritually had eternity as its destiny mm-hmm. and i was just totally captivated by the spirit that was in that place so i came home and i told mom i want to become jewish and <laughs> she <laughs> said you can't become jewish it's just like you're born chinese you're born a jew but later on to find you know um not to get into the um the details of it but you know if you convert to judaism essentially you could become uh, like a jew mm-hmm. but that was very a uh, very formative uh, stage in my life, and then when I was seventeen, I kind of hit my midlife crisis. Which I guess, if that were really true, I'd be dead by now. <laughs> but it's a time in my life when I started asking all the questions like, "Why was I born? What What will happen when I die?" So, my parents, who were born and raised in China and had a very challenging childhood, you know, you're running away from the Japanese communist infiltration. Um, they couldn't really understand my my challenges with life because I had everything they gave me everything I had the most amazing parents in the entire world and yet I wasn't happy something inside of me was gnawing like I could get my college degree get a job get married have kids become a grandmother and die that is futile that was futile to me I was like be put six feet under after all of that why were we created to love why were we created to even fear death Or fear the fact that we wouldn't be able to live forever, you know. um, So those questions haunted me. And uh, one day my father said, Tina, when we were young, we didn't have the luxury of pursuing the meaning in life. It was all about survival. Just be happy, you know. And so he gave me a lot of Confucian thoughts to think about, which were all practical, but it it wasn't a scratch. I knew where to itch, and so anyhow, eventually I got my civil engineering degree at the University of Illinois, and I um, it's another long story. But I eventually moved to the Bay Area, got you know started working for um, Lockheed Missiles and Space Corporation because I thought if I'm going to die in three score and ten, I want to go up in space. I'm going to do something really <laughs> stellar for humanity. Right. I want to punch a hole in the sky. Why not? And so I was around illustrious engineers and astronauts, and it was a very amazing time. And it was Silicon Valley as well. A lot of things were forming as we see today through the web. It was an exciting time. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold... The fact I got put at Lockheed and not at Rockwell and some other companies I interviewed with is also a miracle because when you step back from your calling and from how God just kind of led, you know, led your path, you know, kind of in a sense directed your path and your trajectory, you cannot not but see his fingerprints all over your life. And that to me is just um, amazing and so, yeah, so there was a gentleman in the ice box. I was being cleared for a top secret project. And his name was John Smith. <laughs> Very <laughs> generic name, which is ironic in itself. And in the ice box, there were there was every denomination under the sun: Catholic, Buddhist, born-again Christian, Mormon, you name it. There was all these different denominations. And um there and there was John. Uh, I was put with John because we were working on the space shuttle and I was very impressed with John and God knew the kind of bait to catch this kind of fish you know how <laughs> we were supposed to be fishers of men well he knew because I know from my background I was going to be a difficult catch fish to catch but God knew and um, I say that because while I was in college everybody like that were Christians at the time were trying to proselytize to me, Campus Crusade, University, you know, all those entities. And I was just like, stay away from me. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'll keep religion as a hobby, if you will. And because I had, I just saw a lot of hypocrisy. So anyhow. And now, but uh, wh- what there,
0: what year was this?
1: When I was at the University of Illinois? Well, no,
0: when you started working at uh, Lockheed.
1: Yes, that was um, starting in the year 1980. Uh-huh. So here I was in this in this icebox, and what impressed me about John was this. He just was quiet, but his actions spoke so much louder than his words. And that was what my dad impressed upon me. Coming over to America, he said, Tina, in America, everybody, you know, will express themselves. They're jovial. They're wonderful, open-spirited. But, you know, you can, you can sell an Eskimo refrigerator, but what's the really the proof of the pudding is, are you what you say you are?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which in China is really important. So one day I heard this Mormon talking to John about Halloween and how, oh, are you going to take your kids trick-or-treating, John? And he said, no. um Oh, come on, John. Don't be such a party pooper. This is Eric, you know, the Mormon talking to John. He was college grad like me. And then John said, um, no, we just, we'll go out to movie. And then... <laughs> And then Eric says, well, I guess you don't keep Christmas either. Ha, ha, ha. And John says, actually, we don't. And I thought, come on. Even my dad, who's an agnostic, every Christmas time, we would always come home for Christmas. It's family time. Mm -hmm. It's just, okay. And John said, no. And then that's when Eric looked at him with incredulity and he said, come on, John, seriously? He goes, yeah. Um, But that was very interesting, and I have to admit, Honestly, I was eavesdropping, but that really perked my curiosity because I thought, well, you know what? John has, he must have a belief system if he doesn't believe in Christmas. And so at lunchtime, we're, we're looking at a company of 26,000 people. So at lunchtime, we find a seat at the cafeteria, I go, John, can I ask you some questions? I, I, They're kind of personal and tell me if you can answer them. Anyhow, I asked him all these questions about why he doesn't keep Christmas, what's the meaning of life? And he answered every single one. And he said, uh, from the Bible, but not in a preachy way, just in a way that was very pragmatic. And like this is the instruction book to life and kind of like how an engineer would prove his um, calculations. And this is the key is working on the space shuttle. I no longer can look at some book with the answers in the back that are like it in school. All the answers were at the back of the book. My dad was an engineer and he wrote like 10 books and all the answers were at the back of the book. There are no answers in the back of any book when you're working at a company. You are the answers. You have to do this cutting edge technology that gets these things up in space. So it was a little bit foreboding. But John, everything he did was with meticulous accuracy and he would second, third, fourth, Permutations, and so I would go there and just, pr- you know, pick on his brain. And it's like, wow, if he takes this much time to be this meticulous and professional about his professional life, how much more in his spiritual life? So that really impressed me. And then one day, um, I was uh, asking him, along with some other kids, um, kids, but you know, college grads, to ask him to help change the oil in our car. And he wasn't I and his trunk was open and I saw this book called The Incredible Human Potential. You're ahead of me already, Rick. You know, remember that book? <laughs> I sure the, do. <laughs> yeah, th- that book. Okay, now God knew that book would really spark my interest and blip my radar because when I was a kid, 17 years old, you know, wanting to punch a hole in the sky, um, Jim Ryan, this is dating me now, Jim Ryan breaking the four-minute mile, and all these Olympians and people who were epic in their pursuit of human potential. And God knew that I was all about human potential. And here, what book do I see in John Smith's trunk? The Incredible Human Potential. I go, John, what's this book all about? He goes, oh, it's about uh, um, how we were never meant to die, how we we're going to live forever, how there's a God of, it's like, you You can just stop right there. Can I? Can I borrow this book? <laughs> yeah, he goes, you can have it. I have many copies. I read that book from cover to cover uh, on a ski trip with my friends from Lockheed. Um, I didn't even go skiing. I paid all this money to go skiing. I was on the top bunk of this, you know, Lake Tahoe cabin. And I, the, my friends are like, come on, Tina, you paid all this money to go skiing. I go, you guys, you will not believe this. We uh, we're just renting space in a cemetery. We are just renting space in a uh, like, you know, these soldiers in Arlington, they're just, they're going to, we're, we're going to be resurrected. We, um, you know, I had always asked myself what happens about life after death. And all my questions were answered, except I had some, I was still, you know, being a rocket scientist, I was still questioning, questioning angels and all that kind of thing. But in time, what happened is John invited me to go up to Sacramento where his, or nearby um where his family was living because he didn't have enough money to live in the expensive Bay Area. So he lived in the garage of a church member and came down, worked for four days, went home on the Sabbath. And he invited me up to his, spend time with his family and his three kids and go to church with him, of which I did. And I will be honest, the first few months, it was so boring to me. I had never sat in a two-hour <laughs> long service. <laughs> we were learning about Exodus, and it was just boring. But God tugged at me so he was pulling me he was reeling me in and over time i just i was on fire you know your first love mm-hmm. and i started i'm um, getting very involved in distributing the plain truth i was there during the fall of the berlin wall at a lot you know you've been in eastern europe I'll uh-huh. let you know alexander plage I, I was there at the zoo you know the station called the zoo and it was it was an amazing time. I said, I am living in Bible times. It's not like just in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Martha, and Mary, or Lazarus. it. I'm living in Bible times. I'm looking at these amazing spiritual forces and strongholds coming down, and um, it was an amazing time. So that's kind of how I came into the faith, and it's been an amazing journey since that point in time.
0: Well, I had not known any of this information and it certainly was very interesting about the person in the who found life in the trunk of a car you know it gave you it gave you that that, that booklet and it's amazing how some literature what type of impact it can have on a life and it makes you wonder uh, how it how we can in the future be able to influence people by the words that we speak now uh, you attended this this was a worldwide church of god right
1: oh yes oh, yeah. you know this is in um near Con- i can't remember cameron park cameron park california uh-huh. and then eventually i started attending mm-hmm. in san jose california and um but then you know i was working at lockheed and after you start reading the bible and you start getting all this knowledge um we were always told you know going to to this bible school or seminary was equivalent Uh, to seven years in the church you know that ratio that they used and so i realized you know i was very cognizant of and aware of time being short on this side of eternity so i got you know i got to catch up Mm -hmm. and so i was in this top secret project now and i thought oh my goodness you know i can't just because they spent eighty thousand dollars to clear me for this i i can't just leave the (laughs) lockheed now but um, one day I talked to my pastor and he said, Tina, just pray about it. And I did. And I just felt God pulling me down to Ambassador College in Pasadena, California. And so the hardest decision I had to make in my life, what I did was to tell my dad, because my dad was so proud of me being the firstborn, you know, you're working for Lockheed, you're working on a space shuttle, you know, Asian parents. And he didn't have all those opportunities when he was in China. So, you know, your parents kind of live through your kids sometimes. And so long story short, I, I just had to tell him one day I'm being relocated and he thought it was to Burbank, Lockheed Burbank in Southern Cal. And then I told him and he, you know, in the scriptures where Yeshua, Jesus says, unless you leave father and mother, sister and brother, right, you'll know part of me. I lived that. I lived that literally. Um, and that's a whole nother story because I went through a stress attack one night um, after I talked to my dad. Um, because he told me my grandpa was going to come talk to me who lived down the street and um, about a mile from me You know when your grandpa comes and talk, but my grandpa was a Christian And so he knew how to balance. He knew that I had to answer to God the Father But he also knew that his oldest son my dad was very very wise And mm-hmm. his whole history and so he gave me a lot of sage advice But at the end of the day he told me I had to make my own decision so uh, Yeah. And um, Ambassador College accepted me midterm and John Halford and Raymond McNair, you know, opened the doors for me. Mm -hmm. But this is key. And I would like young people to know this, that oftentimes you'll pray, God will answer. But it doesn't mean necessarily you should walk through that door just because it's open, because God wants you, wants to see how you consider, are you doing it in love? And I say that because he was just so disappointed. And my mother, she would always pick up the phone because my dad would always say, it's for you, Margaret, whenever I would call. And that hurt me royally. Um, so that was a very difficult season in my life. Um, but when I went to Ambassador College, um, a lot of miracles happened for me to get to Ambassador College. But I waited a whole year. I told John Helford, I said, you know, I have to wait a year because I just got to let my dad just heal from this pain. And um, it's really created disruption in my household. And I can't even really feel like comfortable going home. He just no worries, Tina. There, you know, we'll, we'll welcome you when God, when God feels it's a good time for you to come. And um, in the meantime, when I did get down to Ambassador, I met this Jewish student there, his name was Ephraim. And we commiserated because one day we're sitting in class and I said, we shared history and he goes oh your family gave you difficult time i go well mostly my dad because he just loves me so much he goes my dad he wanted me to go to yeshiva he wanted me to be our rabbi he he came after me with a butcher knife i'm like oh he goes yeah so no you you got it off (laughs) 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 easy so Ephraim uh was I hung around with him a lot because you know when you go through persecution the hardest type is to come from your own mm-hmm. you hold on to that first love you hold on to those things that are precious emunah which is faith you don't let go of that faith and yeah I think everybody at some point in time has has you know done a faux pas or something or hurt god in some sort of way but at, at the end of the day you just stay on you just stay on the path and um, cause God, God knows, God just knows. And I think those people he calls are after his own heart because as long as you know what um, touches God's heart, you look at all the Bible characters of old, mm-hmm. you know, they all did things that were um, made God smile and they sometimes did things that made God cry. But at the end, all the hall of fame of faith, Hebrews 11, Mm-hmm. You know, um, why are some of those people in the Hall of Fame of Faith? I think most pastors in this day and age, if they didn't know the history behind, well, they do know the history of people like Samson, of people mm-hmm. like David. And I dare say, though, they wouldn't put him at the pulpit. They, Why are they there? And I think because God, we had talked about this, Vic, mm-hmm. like Second 2 Timothy 2.19. God knows those who are his. At the end, he knows our heart. He knows who are truly repentant. And at the 11th hour, you know, like the thief on the cross, it's it's not like the minute I die, Yeshua says, you'll be with me in paradise. That word means garden, paradise. You'll be with me in the garden um, at a time when all things are restored in the garden. And that is awesome because there is a future for those whom God can genuinely see had a transformation of heart. It's not like, Oh, I just believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And I, you know, no, a lot of people, that's easy. Um, if you're not really sincere about it, but I always remember Dr. Hay, he went to the feast in Fiji one year and he came back and gave a forum on his uh, trip there. And it was so powerful and inspiring. And he told us about a taxi cab driver that took him and Isabel around. And he said, and, short short story short long story short again he said and this man was very close to the kingdom of god (laughs) and of course the students came up to him and but doctor hey how could he be i mean i'm gathering around you know kind of listening to the peanut gallery ask dr hay these questions and usually his questions could be just one sentence and (laughs) he, he just said He was very close to the kingdom of God. But Doctor Hay, he didn't keep the Sabbath and and, and he didn't do all these things. He goes, He was very close to the kingdom of God.
0: (laughs) Well, that has a lot that has a lot to say about attitude, because maybe a person doesn't do all those things. But if they are instructed to or led in those directions, they accept those things, you know, very, very well. You know, you and I have talked about the people in China that Oh
1: totally. Their conversion will be very, very quick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm a Sabbath keeper. I keep the Moadim, which means appointed time. So people are like, you know, I get questions from the Chinese from, you know, going to 30 countries. You get questions from all over um, the spectrum. And like even my husband, you know, he gave me Sabbath traveling candles because he knew the value I placed on the Sabbath. That's mm. a whole nother discussion. The profundity of the Shabbat. The Shabbos, as they say in Yiddish, because it's it's the queen, queen, queen kingpin day. It's the first of the moedim. It's because all the spring festivals represent everything that Yeshua did at his first coming, as you know, and all the fall festivals represent everything that he's going to fulfill at his second coming or his return. Mm-hmm. That is, so you're living out your complete salvation history from beginning to end every cyclic biblical year. You don't do that when you have punctuated holidays, if you will, just, you know, that um, are on the Greco-Roman Julian calendar, right? This, um, and they all have momentum. They all make sense. And even this one messianic rabbi showed that the nine months of gestation within uh, of a fetus when when it's within its mother's womb ties in very, very similarly to the festivals like the ear is formed um, in the, um, on the Feast of Trumpets, which is, you know, just the first festival of the fall festivals. And this is, wow, right? God says, Shema Israel, um, hear O Israel, which actually means, hear also means to obey. So to truly hear means you're going to obey. He goes, obey Israel, you know. And so that's the beauty of the Hebrew language. It's so deep, and yeah, I'm taking a digression, which you know I can do so just <laughs> no,
0: I love it, I love it because i I knew that you would be talking about things ancillary to to that and we i did you did want to talk about the things about how you came into the faith. what I find very, very striking, and I know that this podcast is about you, about how many other people have had similar experiences where God called them in a very unusual way. I'll just briefly say this, is that my parents were immigrants from the USSR, and they came mm-hmm. to the United States, and they had certain hopes for me, but as a teenager, I had the similar experience that you did of coming mm-hmm. to understand the Sabbath and certain things that were deeply convicting. I mean, I would give my life for those things. I mean, they, they were that that valuable, and yet I was a good person in my old Orthodox church, but I found mm-hmm. that I had to do that, and I had to go to Ambassador College. My parents wanted me to become an engineer like all good ukrainian immigrant sons were at the institute of technology at the university of minnesota and i didn't Mm -hmm. follow that my dad they were very very upset but that's that's how god has worked he's worked in your life he's worked in, in my life he's worked in the life of ephraim and many others that he walks them through step by step by step there's a whole plan
1: and you know what? That's so, that's so beautiful to hear. You know, we're, we can identify with one another's path. And that's what's so bonding and beautiful about the common unity or community of Christ. And, um, and you know, at the 11th hour, my dad literally came to Christ. Um, he had multiple myeloma for seven years, but I was in the chemo room with him. And I will tell you, I almost fell out of my chair. Mm-hmm. He said, I know who my God is now, who died for my sins and has forgiven me. And I I was like, what? All the prayers that my mom and I had sowed over the years were now coming to fruition. And the very next day, you know, he's wanting to repent about this. And I, I, I knew he was now in hospice. I knew I had to take him. And I said, but dad, I thought you, I had a really bad, you know, you never thought I had a good job. You know, after I left luck, he goes, no, Tina, actually you have the best job because You're able to be right next to me and take care of me. And also, um, in other words, you have the flexibility with the kind of job you have. Mm -hmm. But number one, you get paid to love people. (laughs) Wow. Thank you, Lord. I needed to hear that. You know, it's like when Yeshua heard from his daddy, you know, here is my beloved son, the one whom I have great favor, you know, who I love and have great favor. I mean, Kids all need that affirmation, right, Vic? They need that um, that confirmation that we're okay with you, Papa. <laughs> God knew I needed that before my dad passed away. Mm-hmm. Now he's in the garden with my mom, and I'm just yay.
0: Well, that's that's a that's a wonderful story, Tina. I would like to move to the subject of Israel a little bit. I would you know, I know that there's so much more that you can say about that and, and I and I hope that this isn't the last of our podcasts. I, I really do enjoy talking to you and have you explain things, but Israel, you say is very much on your mind and with the October seventh uh, brutal attack by Hamas on the Jewish people killing more than twelve hundred uh, of them and taking two hundred hostages in the war that's going on right now. And with the victory march, or not the victory march, but the march uh, for
2: Israel
1: yeah. uh,
0: uh, on November fourteenth that that was held, can you give us some insight into into how you feel about this?
1: Well, I really firmly believe, after coming through the scriptures for the past thirty five years, that, as we see in scripture, Israel is the apple of God's eye. And he had a destiny from the very beginning, from Genesis. Okay? The word Bereshit is the word that starts all of Genesis in Hebrew. Bereshit. And the word, in the word Bereshit, is Brit. Brit. And Brit in Hebrew means covenant. Mm-hmm. So for those who read Hebrew, you see that God is a covenant-making God. And he made a covenant with Israel. And even Moshe, Moses, you know, remember that amazing conversation that God is saying, you know, I'm just totally paraphrasing, of course. I'm thinking of not choosing Israel anymore. They're, You know, I'm really paraphrasing. But, you know, they're stiff-necked. They're challenging. Now, Moses could have said, you know, I so agree with you. No, he said, but... Uh, but you made a covenant with them, right? You made a covenant with them. You cannot break that covenant with them. And it's almost to me, this is just my own perspective, that I believe that, of course, God was not gonna break his covenant with Israel, but it was a test from Moses to see whether or not, you know, are you going to be able to take these people through the wilderness for as long as it's going to, it's not the 11 days, it's going to be 40 years. And he he passed, he goes, I I can just see God saying, is that a boy, that a boy, because we're going to do this together. And so God has never released his grasp on Israel. And I firmly, as I shared with you, Vic, I don't believe in replacement theology or since, um, how do they call it? Fulfillment Succession. theology. Replacement theology, yeah. where the church has replaced Israel. Mm-hmm. No. The church has divine calling, as well as Israel. Um, But we won't get into this, because we'll be here a long time. But all to say, with regards to what happened on October the 7th, we in Israel, they saw evil for what it truly is. Uh, On Zoom every Sunday, I Zoom with a few others. And we speak to a rabbi, Orthodox Jewish rabbi, who wants to build bridges between Jew and Gentile. It's a fascinating time we have. And you know, for the longest time, he's an incredible optimist, always looking at the bright side of humanity. He never would mention the word evil. Mm -hmm. For the first time that my friends and I have ever heard A.B. Avraham say or speak about evil, and he was crying because of things that he had seen on the news about what happened at the kibbutzim. Now, Mm We live in a world where Satan is alive and well, right? Yep. And he's making himself so obvious, but this world still doesn't recognize him, but it's beginning to see it. And I think God is separating the sheep from the goats. And how does this tie in with Israel? Because if people have the eyes to see and ears to hear, we always put somehow, some way, I don't know why, Israel in a separate category. We wouldn't put... I don't want to get political here or even religious. We want to put every other entity that we kind of lift up and on a separate category. But we seem to have extra expectations for Israel. But we all know where anti-Semitism came from, right? It's from the enemy. Mm-hmm. We fight not with flesh and blood, but with the spiritual forces in dark places.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so God is has always used contrast in the Bible, light, darkness. Righteousness, evil, et cetera, et cetera. So now he is allowing, I feel, evil to resurrect this really ugly. It's always been there. Always been there. I mean, back in the time of antiquity, everything was supernatural. All our forefathers always believed in gods and goddesses and everything was but now science but over you know the centuries and millennia, science took the place of the gods. So we don't look at the world being filled with all these spiritual entities. In the, in the heavenly places but our forefathers always did and so now but we're living in babylon we're living at a time of immense chaos and confusion which is what the word babylon means right it's just circa now so israel has a major statement to make on how it handles hamas which means violence and you they israel did not take care of the job in first samuel with king saul's when God told King Saul, "Kill every man, woman, and child, camel, donkey, beast of of the Amalekites," because the Amalekites are totally the terrorists today are from the Malachite tribe. Haman, Boo, as they say in Purim, Hitler, and all those antichrist figureheads. When you look at them, the spirit of Amalek, mm-hmm. which in Hebrew means doubt. When you spell the numeric, it means doubt. When you when in the Garden of Eden, when the when the serpent test, you know, came to mm-hmm. Adam and Eve, right. he created doubt in their mind. And that's the whole genesis of how Israel now is um, a really good template for sh- a mod- a role model to see how you, you know, you live in Whitestone, right? Indiana?
0: Whitestone, Indiana, right.
1: Okay. If, if bombs were flying from Indianapolis or Champaign-Urbana or Chicago into... White stone, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't tolerate. Nobody would tolerate it. So, listen. I just share this with people. Coming to a theater near you. Because evil has no boundaries, and this radicalism is about world conquest. And so, if you every pro Hamas and pro pro whatever, that's a, okay. Go back and move to where once you uh, go back to that area, if you're so pro, you know what? They would kill every one of them. (laughs) Because once again, once evil starts consuming everything, then it has to consume itself because that's the nature of its nature. So Israel is, 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 is not going to listen to the UN or to any other entity, they're listening. And you know how many, and I'll finish with this, you know how many IDF soldiers And civilians now who weren't even very religious are now wanting a kippah a a yarmulke you know a little Mm -hmm. beanie as they call and uh the tzitzit to wear they can't sell enough because they realize that the only way that they're going to win this war is what they've seen their messianic jewish um soldiers they've seen the other soldiers um who are also you know maybe orthodox jews or whatever um fight and they see them praying and they see them opening the torah and they see the, they can see how david waged war against ziklag they can see how god rescued hostages they can see how god rescued all of them out of israel um out of egypt mm-hmm. and the word egypt is a it meets means a, a tight and confined place in hebrew he took them out of a tight and confined mentally emotionally um toxic environment and birthed them through the red canal into the wilderness to mm-hmm. quarantine with him so they could understand what the true meaning of life is all about and this is what Israel has to it's fulfilling that prophecy that whole narrative to this day so we have to support Israel um that is just undoubtedly those who bless Israel God will bless but mm-hmm. it's not a gift to get it's just a blessing blessing right it's for those who are truly converted it's in our dna now Mm -hmm. right in our dna we are the spiritual children of the most high and god is not coming back to seattle he's not coming back (laughs) to quite he's not coming he's coming back to yerushalayim and the whole name is prophetic it's 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 the city of peace wholeness Mm -hmm. right and that's exciting but right now
0: everybody is circling that area Everybody's getting their nose in it, including even China. Russia is making statements about it. Europe, of course, is involved. The U.S. for as long as you know, as long as it lasts. I mean, everything is pointing towards that. But it's amazing how Israel has still been protected—a country the size of New Jersey with a small population—holding off an entire Arab-Islamic world. It is truly astounding for what can be done and what is done and how God is has an umbrella over them right now.
1: How could have... God, God so speaks through Israel, whatever happens to Israel, happens to the nations. You know, when they became a nation on May 14th, 1948, a few years after the Shoah, the Holocaust, what group of people, ethnicity, where six million died, right? Mm-hmm. And then a few years later, they form a state, a nation. That is totally a miracle. And then... Um, their independence came. Okay, so I'm just saying this because when I went to Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum, mm-hmm. it's right next to their like Arlington Cemetery. So God, once again, you know, I feel as He covers Israel, shows this um, contrast between light and darkness. Darkness, the hell of Shoah, in the cemetery, that kind of um, the museum that represents it, Yad Vashem, and then right next to it. Where all their freedom fighters and those the patriotic, you know, illustrious uh, IAF and the IDF, Israeli Air Force, and all died there, you know, and heads of state, they're there. So he shows that which light brought light out of God used light to bring light out of the darkness, and um, so that's what he's doing now. I, that's why they they have to eradicate evil. You you cannot dialogue. You cannot. Um, what do you call it? Negotiate with evil, and I, I, the the West just does not understand that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, but until it comes to a theater near us, um, you know, Billy Graham had a saying. He goes, "If God does not judge America, he's going to have to repent to Sodom and Gomorrah." <laughs> and that's a pretty powerful statement, mm-hmm. right? Because you look at the the, the what's Seeding here in America. We, we have been given a lot of grace. We have been given a lot of grace and I pray we make good use of the time that we have, but a lot of warning signals are blipping. Um, all the idiot lights are going off, like in your car, you know, like, and we need to take heed. And I would say this, that, um, Ned's grandpa, L. Nelson Bell, who spent 25 of his medical missionary years in China during the most tumultuous time in modern day history in China. Um, he wrote a book after he came back in the nineteen seventies called While Men Slept, based on Matthew thirteen, you know, the parable of the tares right. that were sown among the wheat. Uh, really excellent read. If anyone wants a copy of that book, I'd be happy to send it to them. Um it, Franklin and that's older brother and him decided to resurrect that book because the church is asleep. Mm-hmm. The church is asleep. But it's it's rising as it's 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 getting a dose of reality now, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, that's good. That's good.
0: Well, the U.S., it's amazing that when even when I went to Ambassador College, you know, we thought the end of the world was there. And I remember giving a speech in Ambassador Club where I said, hey, it can't get any worse than this. And I was almost laughed off the podium because what was true in 1967, 66 when I went to college, right now it's just gotten to you know at least we had some values we had some knowledge of the bible and we had great growth in the church you know through the 70s uh, and even the 80s because people were bible literate and they had some respect for the bible but things have just really hit the skids totally and like you say it's because of god's grace that we still are able to to function and totter for god's mm-hmm. greater plan
1: and you know the famous uh, general chinese general um, in English, they pronounce it Sun Tzu, S-U-N-T-Z-U. He wrote a book called *The Art of War*, and he said specifically, he goes, you know, you have to. Um, if you know the enemy, and you know yourself, then you win every battle. But if you don't know the enemy, but you know yourself, then you know you will you will lose some battles. But if you don't know your enemy or yourself, you lose every battle. Well. The West really doesn't know the enemy, and that's why it has such a difficult time in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really know the enemy in terms of China. It, if I'm not looking at China as an enemy, um, just in, but you know, we in the West fight militarily differently than those in the Middle East and the East, um, and and that's a whole another you know story. But mm-hmm. um, it, but it's you have to know the enemy, and you ha- you don't you don't become the enemy to fight the enemy. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to become like him to vanquish him. He, so I just always tell people, don't become like Satan to you know defeat Satan. No, but at the same time, you have to in this in this um, tenant that Sun Tzu put out. I would say, yeah, but there's a variable that's missing and a big one, God. I always tell my friends, you have to know God, the enemy, and yourself, mm-hmm. and then you'll win every battle. But You know so once again it's an incredible time i feel that god it says uh you know you have to hone your discerning skills because it's a time you have to use great discernment put on your helmet of salvation and all the armor each and every day when you go out people kind of take that for granted too right so um yeah so he's our iron and by the i just thank you lord you know for the fact that um he has brought us to the season in our lives where we can really be a shofar Mm -hmm. for his truth and his goodness and his justice. And that's why we have to stand aside our older brother because they're really getting hit hard. And But they're an example, you know, of resiliency. And I think we here as believers on this side of the ocean, we're gonna need their prayer. Well, we're gonna really need their (laughs) prayers because, uh, yeah. So,
0: Well, like you said, you know, if we had somebody close to us or state over or even outside the city limits attacking us, we'd be thinking quite differently about it, just like in Gaza, you know, they're just short distances, just miles uh, from one place to another. And of course, the same thing is true in Ukraine, which is an entirely different subject, but some, one that, that I, I talk about quite a bit. We would have a different perspective. Right now, we're protected by oceans. We're We're so far away. In fact... When there's a crisis that occurs in a world like ukraine you can hear about it for the first month but then nobody wants to hear it after afterwards even if it's mm-hmm. 10 times worse than it was at the, than the beginning the same thing is true in israel right now when you hear a, a hamas israel war you just almost tune out not that you do but you've heard that before i just remember that during the vietnam war it was years of just the same news all the time and i believe that right now the American public or at least our nation right now it's, you know, with something horrible happens in the world, it's back to Sunday football to kind of deaden your mind from all the horrible things that are happening in the world.
1: Oh, I know. That's why the game trivial pursuits and all those things are very popular because at least you feel you have answers to something that are trivial. Right. (laughs) But, (laughs) but no, I, I feel that this is an excellent time to use our um, Holy Spirit skills and all those kind of things to observe what's happening in the Middle East because God's like, keep your eyes and, you know, watch and pray, watch and pray because um, this, you know, on a given day, how do we use our kingdom time, you know? And and what do you watch and what do you allow your soul to absorb? And so I think, and as every day leads to the Sabbath and every Sabbath leads to another special day on God's day timer, you know what are we doing? Because he's gonna—he's got that day timer open, and he is working. And we—he can give us revelation and insights and and visions about things that, um, like Reese Howell, right? Did you ever hear about that gentleman um, called Reese Howell? R E E S H O W E L L during mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. of the World War mm-hmm. right? I mean, a, a small band of people praying fervently, praying and fasting for um, for the allies as they were defeating. It was miracle upon miracle upon miracle. And of course, you saw the movie Dunkirk and what happened. Mm -hmm. So all those things, there is power in the heavenlies. And God's like saying, so when Peter was released from prison in Acts 12, you know, it's well, the angel just didn't come, you know, and open the doors and lead Peter up. There at Mary's house, they were praying fervently. And the word there in Greek is Extenos meaning like extending their arms, like reaching out, like prostrating themselves. They were crying out to have Peter released. There was some powerful push around the throne room. I are we doing that like for the hostages, the 240, you know, in Israel? I mean, in, in the tunnels. I mean, or is it just kind of like, well, I think I'll just I don't know. I don't mean to be too critical or judgmental, but if it were our grandmother, our three year old grandkid or any of that we would be in a little different posture so i'm just saying that um you know do unto others as you would want to do done for yourself because there's a rabbi who's on a hunger he, on a hunger fast uh, like a fast until somehow the red cross can get to these hostages just to treat them and none of that happening right now so mm. there's some serious god is watching and I think it's an, an amazing time where um, we can ratchet it up and get together. And the majority should not be silent anymore. You know, people complain about this group and this group. And I go, "They're such a, my people say "They're such a, my, you know, small entity, 1% of the population. How come they have such pout? I go, you know what, because they're giving their rhetoric, a voice, you need to be wisely, prayerfully bold. Mm-hmm. in this day and age. God has given you, God did not think or intimate creation to being. He spoke creation into being. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think he sung creations into being, to be honest. And um, just like most of the Psalms and everything are poetic and, and, and through song, because there's something powerful about music, which mm-hmm. is another thing we talked about. So no, I think this is an exciting time it's the you know, tale of two cities. It's the best and worst of times. And it's all depending on how you wake up in the morning. And you know, it's interesting how God started every day with rest mm-hmm. and not busyness. The world starts its day with busyness. God starts the day with rest because as the sun sets every night, and he puts creation to bed. He starts it with rest. It's a time to marinate, to meditate. On all those things that are eternally of value and to cleanse your soul and you know that's why the Jews every night time before they go to bed and every time they get up in the morning they say the moldani mm-hmm. thank you God for taking care of my soul and forgive and giving me all that is necessary I'm paraphrasing you know for life and I these rituals are good these rituals do something to you in an age of great darkness and i feel like the world as i traveled to 30 different countries um you know people say what's the common denominator i said the common denominator is the people are beautiful but the government net net it's about power corruption everything but the people are beautiful and everybody Is looking for hope, tikva, hope beyond hope. Mm -hmm. So I pray that believers can give people a real sense of hope and a real sense of joy. I don't see a lot of really joyful believers around. You know, it's kind of we become a part of the culture. I'm not talking about, as they say in England, happy clappy. Mm -hmm. I'm talking standing with this amazing sense of authority that you have because of who you are. It's not your gender it's not your ethnicity it's not your none of that it's who you are as a child of God and when you can stand strong on that identity and on that authority and when you live out the scriptures and we're all we're not going to always be perfect all the time but if we are under the authority of that scripture it has power to throw back like in the wilderness Jesus Christ didn't play in Satan's sandbox very long. He basically just quoted three scriptures out of Deutera- Deuteronomy, Devarim, and it pushed Satan back because he was under the full authority of man shall not eat by bread alone. Yeah, well, why doesn't it work for the common Christian? or the com- Because oftentimes we are not under the full authority of that particular scripture. You know, sometimes we'll do a little compromise, and, whatever, and Satan knows that, so he can mess with us. Or get us distracted, and I think we live in a day and age of great distraction. I think that is the greatest threat to faith:
2: mm-hmm. is
1: distraction. If God, if if Satan can't speed you up, he's going to slow you down. And if you don't keep the Sabbath, at least you know there's a great book by this um, ER doctor that retired is now a, a pastor and an author. But he he wrote the book Twenty Four Six. I love it. Twenty Four Six. 24 is on the seventh day you rest gotta land the plane and um so at the end of the day it's it's really powerful everything connects and you know this whole thing too about the five loaves and two fishes all ties in with the sabbath as well because in in that beautiful everybody knows about the five loaves and two fishes and the miracle of feeding The over actually was more than 5,000, it was 10,000 because there were women and children there too. And Yeshua comes in to the side of the Lake of Galilee, which is also that side was a kind of more of a wilderness um, area and it totally parallels. Okay, let me not get ahead of myself, but in John um, six, I believe, it talks about the five loaves and two fishes. And I go to that particular gospel because John is very detailed. And he mentioned specifically that it was during the time of the Passover.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, The other gospel writers, if I'm correct, don't mention the fact it's a Passover. But this is an important detail because in Israeli culture, right, during Passover, what does every good papa and mama do when they have the children, their olive plants around the table? They share the Exodus story. They go back to their forefathers and how they were extricated from Egypt and, you know, how God fed them manna in the wilderness and he told grandpa and grandma and all the you know you pick only you pick a double portion to you would take a double portion on friday because saturday you are not to you know you're to rest right why but okay so what is jesus christ doing here he knows that all the masses out there that have followed him because they want to see miracle healings about the sick they, they're all about like heal my sickness right So, this is also Tyson. So, Jesus Christ tells us, he he tests them. It says he tests them. And he said, How are we going to feed these guys? And this little boy comes up with five loaves and two fishes. And he goes, Okay, so he multiplies it. We we know the whole story. But what's so powerful, every Jew in that group, in, in the thousands that were out there, would say, Whoa, they, it would trigger the memory of the fact how. God, the father fed their ancestors bread from heaven
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and a miracle. It came from heaven, right? And he was feeding the mass multitude back then. How much more is he now feeding the mass multitude now? Okay. So, so if you obey the truth and you keep the truth, you will have miraculous provision. And with miraculous provision, you will have rest. And true rest is not like taking a nap. True rest is no guilt, no fear, no anxiety. And if you don't have those, you don't have disease.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Dis, no more ease. I mean, you have shalom. And so all these people who are out there and, you know, sitting at his feet are sick and want to be healed and everything. They're hearing not only a miraculous. They're not only experiencing the miracle of multiplication, which happened in the time of their forefathers. But also, this is powerful because the Hebrew language is all about numerology. There's a reason why there are five loaves and two fishes, not ten loaves and one fish, ten loaves and ten fishes, because five plus two equals seven. Mm -hmm. Seven is a number for completeness in the Bible, right? Seventh day is the Sabbath, seventh millennium, 7,000. Okay, so that would have equated with those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. So once again seven is the number of completeness and therefore you are to rest in me which is the living bread the living waters and if you can rest in me and just trust disciples because disciples didn't get it they you know i think god had to explain a lot of things to them and they were in training right mm-hmm. for a time when he would be to the next hand side of his father but that's powerful because that's the importance. Of the sabbath not just the day it's a whole concept it's a whole dimension about if you rest in the lord completely trust him you will have provision how many illnesses do we have not only in just around the world these days it's because of body soul and mind and spirit are not one and there's no um you can say well i have the holy spirit But are you allowing it to be released in your life to have its effectual means to really be at one in alignment Mm -hmm. with, you know, if God were to get a physical, it'd be shalom, shalom, shalom. Right. Perfect blood work, perfect EKG, the heart isn't racing, no arteriosclerosis because everything is at peace, because there is no worry, anxiety, because everything has been released. Mm -hmm. And that's where a believer is either real or not real, because the body does not lie. Yeah. Tina,
0: this has been absolutely wonderful talking to you. I've always been very enriched <laughs> by your insight and just by all the different things that you find. Is there any other final comment at this time? And also, I just want to say that how much I appreciated this. I'd hope that you'd be willing to continue this sometime.
1: Oh, yes. It's, I'm just so glad that um, we've reconnected, Vic, and I've always had the utmost um, respect and um, how should I say, just inspired by all the work that you do um, around the world, building bridges, um, and just uh, bringing God's kingdom you know, to the earth. So thank you for this time. It's like a moment of eternity, and thank you for the opportunity.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much, and, and uh, have a beautiful Sabbath, and uh, we'll be talking to you again.
1: Sounds good, Vic. Shabbat shalom. Okay. Shabbat shalom. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to us today on The Cubic Report. We welcome you to share this podcast and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, and many other platforms. You can easily find us at any browser address box by typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. Remember, cubic is spelled K-U-B-I-K. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at vcubic at gmail.com. That's v-k-u-b-i-k at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.